This is another MP3 podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle, Australia. 2NURFM 103.7, that is a dream lover from Bobby Darren. Things to dream about could include holidays, and who better to talk to about that but Sally Lucas. Hello, Sally. Good afternoon, Jane. So we're talking travel right now. We are, and I thought we'd talk about my last little sojourn, which was only coming back last week or last Sunday and I went to France and just just London in England this time so I just thought I'd talk about this area in the south of France I went to which was absolutely delightful and we were very fortunate to have perfect weather because the week before we left you know the temperatures were saying 17, 18, 19, cold, rain we got there and they said you must have brought the weather with you we had a week of perfect sunshine 27 degrees every day and it was just magnificent. So just to explain people where I went, we, we flew into Paris and we caught the TGV down to Avignon. Now, I don't know whether people are aware you can catch the TGV from the airport, so it does save you going into, into London, into London, into Paris, you knew what I meant, um, and maybe sometimes even having an extra night's accommodation. So you can sort of obviate that by just hopping on the train and getting to your destination. And it's a pretty comfortable way of travelling. Oh, too, it's a very it? comfortable way of travelling, actually. And I, another thing I didn't realise, since last I've flown into Paris, there's no immigration cards anymore, so you don't fill out anything on the plane. And I allowed, you know, the usual plenty of time to catch the train, and I could have caught an earlier one, but because of, I think, the Icelandic eruption and all the disruption with airlines, all the trains are just so fully booked, um, you just can't get on. So it is very wise, like we did, to book ahead for any of your train travel in Europe, especially on any of the ones that are bookable trains, obviously, or fast trains. So we had, you know, plenty of time to kill in the end because it was just so simple that we don't even check going through customs. We just wandered through and... Bingo, that was it. Um, and then we just got the, the, the nice little train into, into uh, terminal service, which takes you through to the terminal that you need to catch the TGV from. It's all very well signposted and very easy to do. So, yeah, so that was only, a, you know, we had to change in Lyon for that one because it wasn't a direct service, but that was fine. We, we end up with about 15 minutes between trains, which was more than adequate. Um, then they have luggage sections at the end of each, um, you know, a rail carriage so you can put your luggage there and you can fit a reasonable sized hand luggage above you on the overhead um, rack as well. So we found it was quite easy and then when we got to Avignon we had organised to hire a car and we drove to this wonderful little village called Uzès. Now Uzès is in Languedoc whereas Avignon is actually in Provence so it's, they're very close though. It's only about um, a bit under 40 kilometres between Avignon and Uzès and Uzès is listed as one of the most uh, in the 50 most beautiful villages in France. Um, it is absolutely superb. It, it's medieval, um, and its beginnings go back to the 10th century. So it, it's quite a beautiful, beautiful little village. And, of course, once they're in this list, everything has to be improved. All the cables have to be put underground, so it's it's reminiscent of the village as it would have been. So they're not allowed a lot of, you know ugly signage and everything's kept pristine. The streets are washed and swept every day. So it was just absolutely magnificent. So what what does its beauty lie in? The buildings, obviously, um, and they're, they're with the Pont du Gards nearby, but they've got these wonderful quarries and it's, I guess, reminiscent of um, our sandstone is the way I could explain it. But this beautiful light stone, and it's all in huge blocks, you know, and in every village in France, no matter how small, of course, has a wonderful 
beautiful church with a huge spire. So you can pick your village out you know, and see it from a distance because you see the spire. And they also have in this area these wonderful, what they call perche village, which are perched villages. And they were built like that, I guess, to, so they could see enemy coming or to protect themselves. So you have these wonderful little villages perched up on the, the nearest little hill. And they're just delightful. I mean, you're just stepping back in time and everything's so pristine and so beautiful. And, of course, you have market days where the food you gather is is it, it just incredible, you know, just to wander through and look at the different... I mean, you know, you look at the olive section, there must be, gosh knows, more varieties than olives that you could poke a stick at, you know. And then you've got all your, your fish section and your meat and your beautiful flowers and your herbs and, and they had this big still making their own fresh lavender water and different fragranced you know, waters to sell with the natural oils in them. Um, it was just fantastic. And people were very friendly everywhere we went in France. We did not have one grumpy, unhappy person. Um, and a lot of people come back and say, oh, yes, the French are arrogant. I've never struck it, having said that, Jane. Um, probably only once, many years ago at a railway station back in the 80s when not as many French people probably spoke English then, but a lot more do now. Um, but even so, we just had the most welcoming experience everywhere we went in cafes, restaurants, transport. You know, we were treated really, really well. And the apartment we stayed in, in in Uzes was just delightful. And we're in this old medieval building, of course, but with a nice modernised apartment inside. So you still had all your modern amenities, but you were still in this wonderful old building. Um, so was, was it difficult to find this apartment to book? To no, well, I, it's, it's owned by a couple of Australian guys, actually. They've got a, a range of um, cottages in France, and which was nice because you're dealing with someone whose base is Melbourne. You know, often you're on the net or something and you don't know really who you're dealing with. So it was nice that you had that Australian contact. And they live, I think, half of the year in France and half of the year in Australia. And they've got four different properties in this Uzès area and they've got others in the Dordogne and so on. And they're called French country cottages. You can Google them and um, one, wonderful. And they fit them out to suit Australians. We even had a double Australian PowerPoint. So people who might forget adapters or anything. So, you know, they, they just thought about the tiniest little things and beautifully fitted out, you know, state-of-the-art fridges, cooking utensils, stove. Um, comfortable beds, furniture, um, but in this wonderful village and the whole area, you forget how the Romans came through and ruled so strongly through that area. The Roman influence is amazing everywhere you go in this southern part of France in particular. So, yeah, that, all of that was wonderful. But, and plenty um, to do in the area around. Well, there is, and I'll Let's go see. on and tell us a little bit more about that shortly. But, yes, there's, there's plenty to keep you occupied. We're talking travel, thanks to our sponsor, Travel World on King. It's 21 past one, and Sally Lucas has just come back from France having a wonderful time. Firstly, in the south of France, Sally. Yes, I'll just continue a little with that, Jane. Um, having said that we love these villages, which we did, we didn't proceed to any of the major cities. We were close enough to go, probably go to Marseille or Montpellier, but really you need a lot of time in cities to, to locate where things are and to find your way around, whereas once you're in, going between village to village, they're compact, small, you can really get involved in the history of each village and it's it's much easier to do than trying to combine the cities and the villages, I think. You know, if you want to go on a village holiday, stick to the villages as much as possible. Um, Avignon was probably the only largest city we went to, of course, because it's so famous, obviously, for the Sur le Pont d'Avignon, the song we all know about the bridge, and, of course, the Palais de Pape, where, of course, these popes lived in opulence for quite some centuries until they were taken over again by the, the Roman papacy. Of course, they were a separate 
papacy and um, they lived a very opulent lifestyle so going to the Palais de Pape was certainly worth a visit and Avignon itself is a completely walled uh, village even though it's not a village by my standards it's, a, it's more like a large town to, to small city but certainly most interesting and the other thing to do down there was this wonderful drive called in the Cévennes which is to the north of Uzès where we were staying a and it's hills. yes and the, you, you drive out of this lovely undulating sort of countryside and of course we're in the Côte d'Aronne district so everywhere you went you were just surrounded by vineyards it's all planted with vineyards this whole area it's just a, I've never seen so many vineyards but once you get out of there then you're climbing up into the Cévennes or the, which is the name of this national park Park and mountains, and you drive on a road called the Corniche de Cévennes, and it is absolutely stupendous. You're winding your way up hundreds and hundreds of metres above sea level, hairpin bends, and you know we were being overtaken by motorbikes, just having a wonderful time on these hairpin drives. But I mean, it was a fantastic drive, and I recommend anyone to do it from the scenery alone. Quite rugged and quite different to the other scenery we're experiencing. So I could talk about this area forever, Jane, but I would like just to go on, if I may. And we were, after that, we caught the TGV back into Paris, and we had an apartment there in the Montmartre district. Now, our main aim for Paris this time, because we have been before, we, we need to do all the icons again, which we've done, was to go to the Musée d'Orsay, because I missed out on the exhibition in Canberra. And the Impressionist exhibition was there is just fantastic, even though some of it is probably still touring. It's just massive, much more than we've seen out here, and it was well worth it. And get a museum pass because you don't have to queue. So if you want to go to the Louvre, the Musée d'Orsay, or any of these other attractions, you just go to the head, and you don't have to worry about queuing. So that's really fantastic. Do you get your museum museum pass before you go there? Yes. Yes. So you can get that here. Yes, Mm -hmm. before you go. And also the good thing is the Paris Visite card so that you can use it on the buses of the underground. So you just use this little ticket and pop it in the, you know, your little bar and off you go, your little barcode, and you just, you know, you're not worrying about buying individual tickets, et cetera. So that's another good thing to get before you go as well. Is that like a pass that covers the number That covers, yes, and you can get them for like just the inner city zones or ones that will cover as far out as Charles de Gaulle Airport, for example, Versailles, um, Disneyland, etc. So you can get an all-zone pass. Um, but what we did, which we, we really wanted to do this time, was to go to Roland Garros, and we were very fortunate to see round four and saw Dokovic, Serena Williams, and also um, Nadal play. So we saw three top players, which is a wonderful day. And the other day that was, was supremely important to us was to do a, a Battlefields tour of the Somme. And um, my husband has been reading up on this recently, and of course he was very, very interested in it uh, historically for all sorts of reasons and I learnt so much and you're very humbled and you don't realise the immensity of how many lives were lost until you go somewhere like this and I would recommend that tour to anyone. Our only disappointment was that we didn't do a two-day tour instead of a one-day because then we would have gone up into Flanders and Fromel and so on where we were just doing, of course, the French area of the Somme and you can get a train to Amiens it takes about an hour and then you can book a battlefield tour from here before you go and you have just like a a small mini bus we only had two people who joined us for half of the tour they were going on to do another area and then there was just the two of us and a full English speaking guide and really to go to you know Villa Bretonneur where the little Victoria school is that was donated by money from Victoria because from the Australians that were there and you've still got this the Australian flag is flowing everywhere and Posier and Le Amel with Monash, which I didn't realise he was such an important man in the First World War. He, Monash University in Melbourne, obviously, is named after him. But apparently he, his, his tactics 
his tactics in battle were second to none and his battle that he actually fought in Hamel which actually stopped the progress of the Germans going down towards Paris and he had a semicircle but what he'd done he used air it was the first time air combat had been used in conjunction with infantry so he was dropping artillery as the troops moved forward to their next move he would drop it was really quite amazing and that battle is still used as a benchmark today by all army personnel to teach the way a battle is fought and won so he, he is just an amazing man and, and he's well revered over there as is Australians in general and the, the Australian War Memorial and even the British when you look at all the names you know seven seven hundred thousand I mean it's just it just the immensity just gets you and it was very apt that we were there in 10 degrees a howling gale and rain and it's so flat the poor men, no wonder they had to dig trenches. There's nowhere to hide, you know. So I guess trenches were such an important part of the way they fought the war because otherwise they were slaughtered as it was, but there would have been even more deaths, I'm sure, if they hadn't lived in their trenches. But very, very sombering, but I still feel it's historically a very important thing for Australians to do. And if they're there, I would recommend anyone to do that tour and, if possible, do the two-day tour that takes them up into Flanders and the Fromel as well. And it must have been a wonderful experience to stand actually on the place where things happen and look over at that well, hill. Well, that's and right. And we saw there. where the Red Baron crashed. We saw how the first bomber dropped. The crater's still there called a Grand Mine. And it's this massive crater and you wouldn't have thought explosives were that advanced back in the First World War to leave a crater of such huge immensity. But there's a lot there to see, a lot to do. It's a full day. It was from half past nine to half past five with a break for lunch. But a wonderful day and something I will remember always and very historically important, I think, for us to, to remember and revere. Thank you, Sally Lucas. Thank you, Jane. And we'll be talking travel again uh, next week, next Friday after the one o'clock news on 2NURFM 103.7.